Welcome to Nice Out Minute. I'm your host, Darren. Uh, my guest this week is Ollie Brady, and we are on minute number uh, 78, which is uh, an hour and 27 to an hour 27.59. Uh, we start the minute with Joni asking, do you suspect foul play? Um, uh, and, of course, uh, Blanc says uh, there is still much that is un- unclear. He basically says a bunch of lines that are in the trailer. Mm-hmm. If you've seen the trailer, <laughs> he says, I suspect foul play. Um, now, you know, Darren, Richard isn't having. Does he yes. say I suspect foul play, or does he say I suspect foul play? Uh, I, I, can't, I can't do a <laughs> yeah. southern accent. <laughs> yeah, neither can he. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's you know he. Uh, anyway, so yes, and then he also says you know uh, like that he kind of goes into detail about you know I have eliminated no suspects, um, and <laughs> we get a bit of argument amongst the characters. Uh, and then, um, you know, we get uh, Meg talking to Joni and obviously Joni making it clear that, um, you know, without the inheritance, basically, <laughs> she can't afford to pay for her school, um, which is a, a rare moment of self-reflection from Joni, because up until this point, she has really been pushing her kind of lifestyle guru thing mm-hmm. and pretending that that's successful and all that kind of stuff. Um, so here she's kind of admitting, no, this is this is you know, we're not we've got no money, basically. Um, and in the script, it says this leaves Meg shaken. And indeed, you know, on screen, we do get uh, in, in the face of uh, the actress whose name escapes me. It's Catherine uh, Langford. Yes. Um, she I was just going to call her 13 Reasons Why. Girl. <laughs> and I, um, I was going to call her cursed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she she is kind of visibly shaken. Uh, and that will inspire what happens in the next minute. We do get it like half a second of the cut back to the restaurant uh, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. We're not going to uh, bother ourselves with like the, the kind of half second at the end of this minute. Uh, but this is basically the family kind of turning to Blanc for a reason to overturn the will. Um, and Blanc kind of giving them nothing, uh, really. <laughs> you know, he says he hasn't eliminated, you know, he's basically saying that, you know, he's still here to do a job. You know, like that, that's like that's basically what he's saying. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still here. Uh, and they obviously understand that. But then there's a lot of disagreement between, like, Richard, who thinks, uh, he says, you know, you're full of shit. <laughs> and, and like, Alan is like, uh, okay, goodbye. Like, he's out of here. Like, he leaves because he's clearly had enough. Um, and then, you know, between Richard and Linda, there's a whole bunch of, like, you know, we've, you know, we can make her renounce the inheritance. And, you know, like, there's, there's a kind of, the scheming of how they're going to get, you know, Marta to... Uh, give up the inheritance which you know i think everybody who is a reasonable person realizes there's nothing wrong with the will alan has told them several times yeah and you know they're kind of now kind of clinging on to anything up until this point most of the family haven't really been that friendly towards blunk um you know so it's funny to see the kind of turn where like Joni is like trying to ingratiate herself with him and richard still isn't having it but you know they're kind of seeing this as uh, you know, the kind of an, an out for them. Yeah, I would say, uh, although, up until now, they've been openly antagonistic to him. Um, oh, yeah. I, I would say a lot of them have, but Joni hasn't. I think this is why Joni's the one that kind of speaks to them, because she hasn't, you know, she was impressed with him. 
Um, and so, you know, she has kind of been less antagonistic, although I'd say that's just her character anyway, isn't it? Like she's the least antagonistic of, of the, the, the family. Um, but yeah, they just they haven't liked him being there. They don't know why he's there. He doesn't know why he's there, really. He's just been paid to look into stuff. Um, you know, we had the stuff with the trellis and the secret window and the mud on the floor. So there's, there's something going on. Um, you know, he said he said in that minute, you know, the game was afoot. And here, you know, he's saying he's ruled out no suspects. And, you know, so like, uh, you know, as a viewer, you're kind of you kind of you're a little bit ahead of him because you know that something did happen. And it's just a matter of whether or not he's going to be able to figure it out. Uh, and obviously that will require it, the funny thing is it, it won't require like, you know, Agatha Christie detective living room. <laughs> like it, it doesn't require that level to figure it out. It requires a toxicity report. And, you know, like, you know, the, the kind of the stuff coming, you know, the evidence coming back from the, the, the soil and like it's actual kind of forensic stuff that is being done by the actual yeah, it's police. It's not I have deduced it because your heart rate has increased. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's. Oh, here's hard evidence. It's not when I mentioned this, your cheeks went flush and that's how I know that you're lying or anything like that. It's not it's not stuff that, you know, traditionally murder mystery detectives do. Um, you know, which to be honest with you is probably on the level of like the Secret Seven by Enid Blyton. Like, you know, they figure <laughs> stuff out in pretty much the same way, don't they? Like, well, the like, dog does, yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of the time. But you know, like the idea of the idea of somebody kind of just seeing bits of evidence and kind of deducing it all uh, is kind of it's almost not how Benoit Blanc operates. Like later on in the film, he will come up with like an extended metaphor about stuff and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that he does that kind of they kind of um, put him as if he is a a detective who does that type of thing. But in reality, this will not get solved by him just looking at someone and saying something like that. This is going to require actual proper evidence. Uh, and I think it's funny that basically when Blanc is saying, you know, I've ruled nobody out and all this kind of like, it doesn't really make any difference to the like if the, the evidence comes back. And yeah, it, like the fact that he hasn't eliminated any suspects is is not really important. Like, it, you know, it, it could be a murder. It could not be a murder. Yeah. The Blanc eliminating people as suspects doesn't change that really. From <laughs> you know? this, this goes back to um, again, what I was saying in, in the last episode um, about us knowing what happened. And Benoit Blanc doesn't. So, yeah. because we know, we know he's probably correct to not eliminate um, any suspects because something, he's, he's piecing together something that we've been seeing happening. And because he's a detective, he has to try and, you know, put the clues together or whatever it happens to be. And us as non-detectives, just people watching the show or watching the movie, we've seen her trying to climb up the trellis. We've seen standing in the mud we've seen all of this stuff happening and Benoit Blanc hasn't so we understand that he doesn't but what I like about this is now watching this as a minute by minute podcast I spent a little bit more time watching each of the minutes so I'll watch it back two or three times and I put myself in Richard's position and as far as Richard is concerned it's a suicide his his dad-in-law has killed himself Everybody yeah. thinks it's a suicide. It looks like a suicide. It is a suicide, effectively. So they come in to Benoit Blanc and, you know, do you have any clues? I have not eliminated any suspects. So <laughs> it's a perfectly logical thing for Richard to say, I think you're full of doo-doo, right? Because yeah. he is. Like, as far as, like, if you have somebody who comes in and you find a body with a knife in it, 
and the blood splatter suggests that they've cut their own throat. And then somebody comes in and goes, I haven't eliminated any suspects. You mean beyond <laughs> the suspect, which is the guy who killed himself? Like, that's... It makes sense for him to have that reaction. It also makes sense for... They've just spent all of this time with Alan saying, no, uh, you're not getting out of this will. For them suddenly to rush into the other room and be like, well, this is our chance. Like, this is our... This is our... Like, you are our salvation. And then when it's not given to them to have Walter be... Uh, like disgruntled looking in the background <laughs> they're all yeah. crowding around trying to get Benoit to reveal something to them and that's when Meg comes in and goes I'm not sure if we I'm not sure if we should be doing this like I mean he clearly wanted the money to go to Anna and then Joni points out to her I can't afford to send you to that lovely private college that you're going to at the minute which means yeah. that it suddenly dawns on Meg and as you were saying earlier you can see it on the girl's face it clearly dawns on her actually I am going to be affected by this if it goes the money goes to Anna and I think it's it, it's really well done it's really well set up and it really works in with the characters that we've seen so far yeah and I would say as well I don't know that any other hosts have brought this up in fact I could say they definitely haven't brought this up uh, but I think it's interesting casting that both Joni and Meg are Australian actors <laughs> they've been cast <laughs> As mother and daughter. So effectively, I'm guessing that the accent coach for them was the same person so that they both sound alike because obviously they're starting from the same point of being Australian. Uh, but that, you know, obviously, if you don't know the actors are Australian, then that's, you know, it it's kind of doesn't mean anything. But I just thought that was an interesting choice that they uh, they cast it that way, um, you know. And uh, also, I don't know, maybe this just struck me as a bit funny, but like um, Don Johnson obviously has a an actress daughter who you know who has got two famous actor parents um and obviously jamie lee curtis is called that because her mom is janet lee and her dad is richard curtis so she is like the product of two kind of famous actors and um you know he has a famous you know actor wife and also now an actor actor daughter so i just thought that was interesting that the casting seems to group you know the australians together and the people who you know for want of a better word profit from nepotism in hollywood it just uh together it just took me two minutes to realize you meant dakota johnson <laughs> i went yes wait don johnson's got a daughter who's the, who's famous jo-? yes. and i was like of course yeah it's dakota johnson yeah <laughs> yes who who was obviously featured in a previous uh podcast that i covered uh the, you know the social network which was her debut that was her debut film oh the social uh, network i thought you were talking about yeah. the uh 15 minutes of gray that you did <laughs> no but you know what i'll tell you this and i've said it before uh, the best opening night i've ever been to of a film was 50 shades of gray and both those sequels because those friday night eight o'clock showings were sold out that like it genuinely and, like yeah gen- and people were going nuts for that film like you, at, at certain points you could hear a pin drop from like and you could hear the ant- you could hear the anticipation in the audience <laughs> as they were waiting for certain things to happen and it was kind of crazy just to kind of sit there as a a spectator and just you know be part of a movie experience something which obviously i've missed for the last i don't know yeah. seven or eight months I miss, since the been shut. I miss going to the movies too yeah yeah so uh by the time this goes up maybe they'll be open again who knows uh but yeah i just thought it was interesting that, that you know if i'm a casting director i've cast you know um these two people who are australian that makes sense but then also these two people who are kind of either you know who who have people that benefited from their nepotism or who were the benefit of nepotism which is not to say that don johnson and jamie lee curtis are not good actors 
But obviously, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't an unknown who suddenly made it in Hollywood. No, yeah. You know, she, she, you know, she came from two of the most famous actors just, of the day. I'm just trying to think of a, a brilliant story I saw once. Um, it was talking about um, M. Night Shyamalan. And it was, yeah. th- this guy was just discussing how M. Night Shyamalan was, was very proud about how he would take people from the boards, right? I saw this person yeah. on, you know, I saw them on on the stage and, and they really spoke to me. And it was like, he must have been really shocked when he discovered that uh, Bryce Dallas Howard was Ron Howard's daughter that he discovered <laughs> by watching the boards in a Philadelphia thing. Like, And it, like that's the kind of story that you get in these Hollywood stories. Like, oh, she was picked from obscurity. No, she's Ron Howard's kid. And Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> yeah. is... Richard Curtis's daughter and Janet Lee's daughter. Like, it's not a shock yeah. that she her, became her casting, an actress. Her casting in Halloween was an in-joke as it started, you know, like, like it was deliberately a reference to the fact that, that Janet, Janet Lee was yeah. in Psycho. Well, yeah, so, you know. It's just, I, I like that sort of stuff. I like people acknowledging that, yeah, sometimes sometimes nepotism is real and it's not... It's not always a bad thing. No. Well, and, and I, I, you know, I will say this. Dakota Johnson, you know, she is a very talented actress, you know. Um, in fact, I think it's funny because with Fifty Shades, they were like, oh, they, you know, they, they auditioned hundreds of actresses and actors and they ended up with Melanie Griffiths' daughter. You mm-hmm. know, like, <laughs> I, I feel like you could have looked a bit further. You know, you could have. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's what they landed on, uh, which, I, which I like because I think in the, no, in the third film, uh she she quotes working girl um uh in in 50 shades freed i think uh or it might be the second film i don't know they blur together but there's like a literally she does a direct quote from the words that her own mother said like 20 years earlier <laughs> uh in a film so that was a, that's a nice little touch but yeah i i mean uh yeah i just, i love the kind of interaction as well kind of like you say richard is kind of right you know he like benoit blanc has done basically nothing but kind of antagonize them for the last few days you know um even when linda started her questioning with him she said you know i've just buried my father like i feel like this film in some ways doesn't kind of take into account the kind of trauma that would be inflicted upon these people basically just you know burying you know the patriarch of the family yeah literally the week before like the film starts and then a week later, this that's when most of the action picks up. So it's only been a week. He's only been dead a week. And and yet, you know, uh, there is still kind of Benoit Blanc kind of, like you say, sitting next to the fire, making himself comfy. <laughs> and no one really kind of knows why he's there. Apart from, of course, the person we will talk about in the next minute. Yeah. Um, the, um... I, without spoiling oh, yeah, sorry, too much. <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, there is somebody in the family who knows why he's there. Uh, which we will get to on Friday. It's but, water. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I was going to say, you know, obviously with Benoit Blanc featuring quite prominently in this minute, it, it works well for today's question, which is, uh, without giving spoilers, you know, as ideas for sequels and titles. I think it's already, at this point, you know, when I started this podcast, obviously, the, you know, there was none of the kind of sequel stuff. It had been announced, but there was no real kind of in-depth stuff. And I think now it's been announced that they are going to film the sequel in the Mediterranean somewhere, I think, on one of the Ooh, islands. That's lovely. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the that's the only detail that's been released. Um, you know, and Ryan Johnson himself, obviously, on Twitter, has made a few gags about... Um, you know, knives out too, and uh, how much was, money uh, he made, because he has made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's quite funny because obviously 
they've announced Knives Out 2, but they've also announced Knives Out 3, which unfortunately means this podcast might go, uh, you know, for two more films. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I think it's interesting that, like, uh, I, and, I mean, uh, there has been a lot of speculation kind of about what sequels would entail or could entail. Um, and I think for me, you know, I think the easiest thing is, and uh, this seems to be the suggestion that's going to be happening with Knives Out 2. That's not the title, obviously, um, which is he goes on holiday and encounters a mystery. Um, and I think, you know, that's a good that's a good idea for a second film. And then for a third film, I think I would like to see um, him possibly going home to wherever he is from. Um, and then maybe, you know, uh, him being in the frame as a suspect uh, and having to kind of, um, you know, solve, you know, a murder that might he might end up kind of being sent to prison for like something like that would be interesting i think for the third one for the second one you know like if if, if it is going to be he's on holiday and he encounters a mystery which is kind of how it happens in some of the kind of agatha christie things isn't it you know yeah uh, it, it happens to him all the time yeah uh, and i think it's also true of murder she wrote that is pretty much the plot of like 50 percent of murder she wrote is jessica fletcher is somewhere for some function and then a murder happens yeah, the other 50 percent <laughs> is her covering up the murder she did Yes, or or trying to figure out how many people are left in Cabot Cove because the murder rate is so is so high. It's, it's Although as, actually, it's I, as dangerous as Midsummer these days. Yeah, well, the, I think that the funny thing is people always talk about. Um, you know, this is where I kind of uh, get to set set right my gripes with people on the internet. People always talk about like Cabot Cove having like a high murder rate and stuff, but most of murder she wrote wasn't set in, in Cabot, Cabot. She was away somewhere else, like on a press yeah. junket, and she was in yeah. California. Like, yeah. Yeah, so so the the Cabot Cove episodes are actually very rare. Uh, they involve Tom Bosley most of the time, and you know, like it's normally someone from out of town who gets murdered. Like, there's, it's very rarely that the people in Cabot Cove are just being murdered at a high rate. But like you say, with Midsummer Murders, it is you know a, a tiny village where everyone is being murdered. Um, although, having visited some tiny villages within this country, um, there are a lot of people there you would want to kill. So, you know. <laughs> Darren, um, just you mentioned the, the sequels. Um, like, if you go online, you're going to find a ton of people who. It's always going to happen. Is low hanging fruit is there, and they go, "Oh, right, so knives out. Oh, let's call it forks out." Um, or uh, <laughs> knives out. How about sequel? Knives in. Like, oh, like that kind of stuff. I always wonder when somebody posts that. Is number one, do you honestly think you're the first person who said that? And number two. <laughs> Did you think the first person who said that was being funny when they said it? Because it's not. Yeah. But what I w- I'm worried about from the sequel, but I don't think it will happen because I trust this guy to do everything except Star Wars. Um, <laughs> that's just the third time I've made that joke, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll fade it out now. But um, I I'm worried that if they send Benoit on a holiday and he's in the Caribbean. Uh, or Caribbean, I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, but uh, I, I, I pronounce it like uh, like I'm drinking lilt, so it's a totally tropical taste, man. And <laughs> what I find with these kinds of movies is that a lot of times they pick up on, I'm not going to say it's the wrong tone from the first movie, but we all find this chucklesome. Like the movie itself is, has got comedic moments in it, and the way it's played is comedic. And I don't want yeah. to see them go for bigger in the second. And that happens a lot in this type of um, second movie is, oh, people people talked about how witty the first movie was. So let's double down on that. And then suddenly Benoit is dropping one-liners all the time. I If they are going, like the, I was going to say, if they are going to, 
no matter where the sequel is set, I'd like his character to remain consistent, which is he's droll. He's not a one-liner machine. He's not, like, he's charismatic, but not in a garrulous way. He's just, he's almost matter-of-fact, and that in itself is quite comedic. But I don't want to see him, as I said, turning into Johnny English's holiday. And, you know, he's suddenly <laughs> having pratfalls and, oh, oh, I have to have a hot tub scene now with somebody and I'm Benoit Blanc, so I'll have my cigar and I'll be all chillaxed, but I'm in a hot tub. Isn't that funny? Now, again, I don't think that is what would happen, but that's that's the yeah. only worry I would have about any sequel to this sort of movie is them picking up on the wrong message. Uh, as for the third movie, I genuinely love your idea of him going back to where he's from and I th- hope that they double down in that he goes back to where he's from and he actually has a posh accent. So as in, <laughs> yeah. his, it's still his accent, but because he's from Hicksville, Alabama, uh, everybody else is walking around with like gaps in their teeth and they're like, oh yeah, boy, whatever. And then he goes in and his actually sounds super refined in comparison yeah. to all of them. Maybe it's like that one guy who's in the water boy that nobody can understand. Oh, you're all right. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's everybody else in the film. And Roy Schneider. Uh, yeah, well, well, probably, maybe not. No, Rob uh, Schneider. Roy Schneider was a great actor. Yeah, well, yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't, think, I, I don't think that Ryan will kind of pick the wrong tone. I think he'll keep the tone consistent. Um, but again, I think this had the feel of like a like we said, you know, with, literally with the setting this uh, this particular minute, it has like the setting of like a cozy, uh, you know, mansion, mm. and you know that that's the type of mystery it is. So if something is more uh, more of a kind of busman's holiday type thing where he gets pulled into a mystery, I think obviously the tone will have to be a little bit different. But I think you know the consistency of uh, Benoit Blanc, uh, you know, should kind of be maintained. Um, but you know, I mean, uh, Daniel Craig has shown that he's he's able to maintain a consistency with at least one character in that his James Bond is permanently miserable. So and he um, is permanently miserable while talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think I think that you know, it, I I I trust that Daniel Craig will be able to do it as well. You know, this character a little bit recalls the character from uh, that Steven Soderbergh film, which I've completely forgotten the title of at this point, um, which has Logan that great Lucky? gag about. Yeah, Logan Lucky, which has that great gag about Game of Thrones where uh, the prisoners are complaining <laughs> that they haven't got the latest <laughs> book. And obviously they're saying, well, the book isn't out yet. And they're like, well, but the, the new series is, is on HBO. And they're like, yes, but that's not about the book. And I, So that that's a, that's a great gag. I've never watched Game of Thrones or read any of those books, but I still understood the joke. <laughs> um, but I, I think his character in that was a bit more kind of extravagant. And I think obviously this is more toned down. And I think he's shown that he can kind of do that consistently. So... Um, you know, I'm looking forward to whatever Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson do uh, in the next film. So I think we've covered everything. So let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug at this point, Ollie? Do you know, I'm going to change it up a little bit. And I'm going to plug Cursed on Netflix, starring Catherine Langford, which is a retelling of the King Arthur uh, myth. But they focus on not King Arthur. And he's a bit part. And he's annoying. Okay. And it's... but. She's the main character. She plays a fae, a witch, basically, um, who's got power as a fairy lady. And, uh, yeah, it's actually, if you can get past the first episode, which is one of those Netflix introduction episodes where they lay everything out really, really, really step by step by step, um, it actually gets quite good. Like, by the end of it, I, I legitimately enjoyed it. So, yeah, I recommend Cursed on Netflix. 
I thought that you were going to say it was an adaptation of the Wes Craven Christina Ricci film. Oh, I would love uh, that too. Of the same of the same name, <laughs> turned into a series. Uh, so I've never seen that film, but you know uh, that would be quite amusing. R.I.P. Wes Craven. I thought you were going to say R.I.P. On... Christina Ricci. I literally had a heart attack. <laughs> no. Not unless something has happened during the recording of this episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Knives Out Minute. Um, you know, and also, I don't think I've actually said this, but I have forced all the other hosts to say <laughs> that you should rate and review and, of course, uh, subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. There was some discussion by some of the hosts about the use of the word podcatcher uh, <laughs> in that they were not happy with it. Um, so, well, with that done, I think we will say goodbye because we're eager to get on to the next minute. Um, and return to the restaurant where Anna Diamas and Chris Evans are. So we will see you tomorrow. Uh, otherwise, goodbye.